Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Well, happy Mother's Day, everyone. Uh, my name is Jeannie Stevens. I'm her, uh, and I'm wearing the same shirt. Uh, and being a mom is, is truly one of my favorite roles that I get to play for two amazing people. In fact, here's a picture of my babies uh, that are now giants. Uh, they, in fact, are now both taller than me. And I imagine I'm not the only mom in the room here today that has, has felt like that moment in the kitchen where life is kind of moving all around you and you're here, but you're somehow not here. You're, you're present, but somehow not present. You know, most family psychologists agree that one of the most important gifts a parent can give their child is their presence. Our kids actually aren't looking for perfect parents. They're looking for present parents. But somewhere between like remembering the load of laundry that you've been washing for three days because you keep forgetting to move it from the washer to the dryer to the math homework that you have clearly aged out of and you have no idea how to help anymore. In between all of the grocery shopping and the school forms as parents, it sometimes feels like there are just lists we need to perfect instead of relationships to be present in. I don't know if you've ever felt that way in your life. Uh, I know I have. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I just got a, a text from my kids and I told them I'd always respond to them. Um, okay, this is, I'm so sorry. This is terrible timing. I'll, I'll just do a quick voice one. Hey guys, yeah, I'm preaching right now. Like what me and dad do every Sunday. The paper towels are in the laundry room where they always have been. And no, the fruit in the Pop-Tarts, that's not real fruit, so that's not a real breakfast. Send. Oh, I am so... Oh, Instagram notification. Oh, wow. Okay, look. Oh, she got breakfast in bed for Mother's Day. How nice. Like... Oh, she, she went on a solo vacation all alone. Unfollow. <laughs> we all know what that feels like, don't we? When someone is talking to you and then they leave the present moment, right? It's so many of us. We do this. We, we leave the here and now and we start focusing on, on all the ways to be productive or all the ways to be perfect and, and we miss being present. And when we aren't present, it's because we're either rehashing the past or we're rehearsing the future. And re rehashing the past, it's just trying to change something that's already happened. And, and, and rehearsing the future, it's just trying to control something that hasn't yet happened, but receiving the present, it's choosing to experience what's occurring here and now. And over the past two weeks, we've looked at the different ways that, that we leave 
the present moment. And listen, this mama, (laughs) she knows a thing or two about trying to change things that have already happened and trying to control things that have yet to happen. And every time we rehash the past, what we tend to do when we're rehashing is we go to a number of different places. But the tendencies in us is that we blame first. It's an indicator that we're somewhere in the past. We're blaming somebody, directing responsibility on someone else. We're experiencing shame, which is just self-hatred at my expense. We're living in unprocessed grief in our lives. We're experiencing some bitterness or some unforgiveness that we have yet to let go of. And then the other thing that we do is that we experience some guilt, this silent suffering from the mistakes that we've made. And these are the ways, these are the ways that we rehash the past. But rehashing the past isn't the only way we leave the present moment. We rehearse the future too, don't we? We go out into the future and we rehearse it. We worry, right? And worry's just living in a not yet that's worse than your now. We experience denial and, and it's just this defense mechanism to, devo- to avoid pain and transformation. We pretend and kind of camouflage our way through this life. We, we live with all kinds of obligations and we kind of let should direct our lives and we double down with control, trying to take authority over the things that we actually can't control. And the thing is, is when we rehash the past or rehearse the future, what we do is is we try to live in what was or all of the what ifs, but God made us for what is. This now moment. God made you to be in the here and now because the here and now, it's always where God is. This is where God is. And we'll never experience the peace of God if we don't learn how to dwell in the present with God. You know, this now moment, the present, this is God's zip code. If you want to know where God is, God is always in the here and now, and it's the place God wants us to live. And thankfully, God knew us so well. He knew our tendency to leave the present moment. He knew our tendency to rehash and to rehearse. And so he created simple ways for us to actually practice being present with God and with ourselves and with one another. In fact, when Jesus was asked, like, if you were to boil this whole thing down, what's the most important thing for us to know about being in relationship with God and with ourselves and with one another? And you know what Jesus said? He said, this is all you need to know. If you want to know everything about my Father and myself and the Spirit, this is what you need to know. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it's all about. Your heart, your mind, and your body. And they have everything to do with loving God and being present. And do you know what's incredible? You actually can't love one another authentically when you're not fully present. We can't love one another and be in relationship with one another if we don't love one another in the present moment. So we need to learn. We need to learn how do we pay attention to what's going on in our hearts? What's going on in our minds? What's going on in our bodies? Why is it that we can be here and yet not really here? 
You know, the first way that we actually learn to, to receive the present moment is just paying attention to what's going on in our hearts. What's happening with your emotions? What am I feeling in my heart? Receiving the present starts with paying attention to your emotions. And you know, emotion, do you know what it is? It's just energy in motion. Emotion. Emotion is nothing more than just energy in motion. If you saw the movie that Pixar put out a couple of years ago, Inside Out, such a great movie, right? You probably saw emotions have a lot of power. This energy in motion, it has a lot of power in our lives, doesn't it? I will never forget a number of years ago, one of my best friends whose name is also Jeannie, she taught me about this emotion acronym uh, called SACHET, which stands for sad, angry, scared, happy, excited, tender. And my first thought when she taught it to me was, I don't think that's how you spell SACHET. <laughs> and it's not. But I've never forgotten the acronym. <laughs> and sachet, it's kind of like the, the six-pack of Crayola crayons when it comes to our feelings. Sad, angry, scared, happy, excited, tender. But there are, in fact, many more than six emotions. There are 78 different emotions that psychologists and social workers refer to as the feeling wheel. Maybe you've seen this image. That's a whole lot of feelings, friends. That's a whole lot of feelings represented there. And it's no surprise that whenever we feel a combination of something that's kind of confusing or stressful, that we have developed these patterns towards fight, flight, or freeze. That when all of these things are going on inside of us, we either fight, flight, or freeze if we don't like what we're feeling. But you know what I've noticed over the years is that those aren't the only three tendencies that we have with our emotions. I've actually noticed when it comes to humans and dealing with the emotions that we don't want to deal with, another thing that we try to do is we try to fix our emotions. We try to fix them. Maybe you have been around somebody and perhaps they were, they were mad or they were frustrated or they were irritated. What's the first thing that you do other than run away from them. You, you try to fix what they're feeling, especially if they're feeling it towards you, right? Yeah. Or, or, or maybe this. Maybe you've been around somebody that was sad or, or they were feeling lonely or anxious. And I imagine when you encountered that emotion in them, you probably tried to do something to help fix that emotion. Maybe you handed them a tissue or, or you tried to help them not feel so lonely. And, and those aren't bad things to do. But the truth about our emotions is our emotions actually aren't looking to be fixed. They're looking to be felt. Your emotion is not looking to be fixed. It's looking to be felt. And humans, we want to fix what feels complicated. We want to sort out and sometimes put it into all these different categories, these things that feel confusing. And so what we've begun to do is we've begun to label things as good emotions 
and bad emotions. But emotions aren't looking to get fixed. They're just looking for some healthy space to be felt in our lives. Your emotions actually don't need an answer. They need some space. They need some healthy space. And every time an emotional button is pushed inside of you or someone else, the only thing that emotion is looking for is will you release it in a healthy way? But many of us, we've learned to do the opposite. And instead of releasing our emotions, we've learned to repress our emotions, right? Uh, maybe, maybe you've experienced this. When you have an emotion, you want to deny it right? You deny an emotion and you try to like put a harness over this thing that doesn't want to be harnessed. Maybe you've gotten into a fight on your way to church, you know, and everybody's bickering in the car and it's just like a scene, right? And then you get to those glass doors and you're like, everybody be cool. (laughs) Hi, how are you? It's so good to see you. Yeah, we're doing great. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, everybody's so happy right? And we try to deny that there was another emotion there. Or or maybe it's not deny the emotion, maybe you stuff it, right? (laughs) You just kind of stuff that thing down, you push it down, cover it up, bury it beneath all kinds of other activities, right? The only problem with, with stuffing emotions is it's like pushing a beach ball underwater. It always pops out and it pops out sideways. And the thing is, is that emotions, they're just looking to be released in a healthy way. And releasing our emotions, it starts with with just naming them. Just name what's here now. The last couple of weeks have had me all over that feeling wheel. I I have literally entered every territory multiple times. And releasing emotions, it feels so vulnerable but it is so helpful. I feel like the last couple of weeks, all my emotions just kind of showed up in my heart like there was a surprise party that I didn't know about. And all of a sudden it's like tenderness and excitement and doubt and comparison and they're like, surprise, we're here. And, and I've just had to learn over the last few weeks and months and years, I'm just gonna name what's going on. Just gonna name. Oh wow, I'm, I'm feeling some tenderness. I'm feeling some excitement. I'm feeling a lot of doubt. I'm feeling a lot of fear. And and when we name our emotions, we release ourselves from those unhealthy patterns of denying and stuffing. And after we name our emotions, guess what we do? We just feel them. And to feel your feelings in a healthy way. You know, so many of us, we're afraid. We're afraid of really feeling our feelings. We think that it might be too much or overwhelm us. And I'm here to tell you, there has never been a feeling that you have felt that has freaked God out. Never once was God like, well, yeah, that's the line. (laughs) That time you freaked me out with that emotion. Never once. Never once. And when we don't feel what God invites us to feel, what we do is we avoid pain. And suffering is what happens when we avoid pain. You know, there's a moment in the gospel, the night before Jesus was arrested and sentenced and then crucified on the cross, 
where, where he literally says these words to his friends. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. Jesus names. Jesus, the son of God. Your savior and mine. Jesus names, he is overwhelmed with sorrow and he invites his friends to stay with him so that he can feel and process the emotion. So if Jesus had to name his emotions, I think it might be something good for us to do so that we can practice being in the present moment. And can I just say something? You know, over the years, I've heard a lot of people And I know I've done this as well, but I've heard a lot of people apologizing for their emotions, apologizing for for the ways that we feel, and apologizing for our emotions is just another way to avoid our emotions. Friends, when you cry, your body is just releasing some liquid love. That's all your tears are. You don't need to say, I'm sorry. You don't need to say, oh gosh, I'm, I'm getting emotional here. When you're emotional, you're just releasing what your heart is feeling. And it's a way to draw you back into the present moment with what's here now. But our heart is, is not the only way that we practice being present. Paying attention to what's happening in our mind it is critical to being in the here and the now. And, and thoughts, most neuroscientists say, that, that you can have anywhere from 30,000 to 60,000 thoughts in a day. Friends, that's a lot of thinking. That's a lot of thinking going on. And Chicagoans, our thoughts actually increase at the start of every single professional sporting season around here. Because what we do is we think over and over and over again, this is our year. This is our year. We're going to do it this year. This is it. The NBA finals, they're coming. The Super Bowl, it's coming. The World Series is coming. And we just think it over and over and over and over again until it doesn't happen yet again. But for most of us, our brain, our brain and our thoughts is this kind of unknowable thing. (laughs) And the landscape and the pattern of our minds are as foreign as the bottom of the ocean and the furthest galaxy in space. You know, so many of us, we just kind of stumble through our mental process believing every thought we have. But a thought is simply just the process by which your mind considers something. That's all a thought is. And 30 to 60,000 considerations running through our minds, it's critical we start to pay attention to what's going on in our thoughts. That's why this question, what's here now, is all about paying attention to what's happening in our heart, in our mind, in our body. Because the truth about our thoughts is that thoughts, they actually can't hurt you until you start believing your thoughts are true. There's no way a thought can hurt you until you start believing that thought is true. A a thought is just a consideration. But when those considerations become your truth, 
That's when our thoughts gain so much power in our lives. And so many of us, we don't pause long enough to pay attention to what am I thinking? I found that my my thoughts, they tend to fall into two categories. These invisible things that just kind of run through my mind, right? They, They fall into the category of an invisible toxic belief or an invisible truthful belief. Let me show you what it looks like in my thoughts of some things that I thought this last week. I have so much to do. I'm never going to get it all done. How do I always end up feeling behind? Why don't people offer to help more? And when those thoughts land on the runway of my mind, or when they land on the runway of your mind, those thoughts become beliefs. And the belief makes a home in your mind. And guess what the belief starts to believe? I'm all alone. I have to take care of everything on my own. And when we believe our invisible, toxic thoughts, we allow our thoughts to take us captive. But you know what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.5? He said that we are actually the ones that actually take captive our thoughts that we are the ones that make them obedient to Christ. So my thoughts don't get all of the power. I actually get to tell my mind how I'm going to think about this. So when we take captive our thoughts, we shift them into invisible, truthful beliefs. Here's how you shift your thought. My calendar feels full. I don't want to try and take this all on by myself. I know that's a recipe for resentment, and I have done that many times in my life. I'm going to ask for help so I don't repeat a pattern of muscling my way through and eventually feeling exhausted. That's how you shift your thoughts, friends. Invisible thoughts that have so much power in our lives. They have so much power in our relationships. So much of the pain and the heartache in my life has come because I started to believe something about me that God never said about me. And so many of us, we have these silent strongholds in our lives that come from our thoughts. Things we've believed about ourselves, things we've believed about one another. So many of our arguments and tensions in our relationships, they come from subtly or overtly believing these invisible, toxic beliefs. And our thoughts, they end up keeping us divided and disconnected from one another. Just open Twitter. You'll see some invisible, toxic beliefs. And once we pay attention Once we pay attention to our hearts and our minds, it's so important that we actually start to pay attention to what's going on in our bodies. You know, your body is just simply the physical container that houses your heart, your mind, your organs, and your soul. And the body is the place where all of those emotions and thoughts, where they're stored. And listen, I could give an absolutely fabulous and convincing message this morning on all the ways to not be present to your body. Because I have done that. I could give a message on how to ignore your body. 
how to punish your body, how to expect your body to do things for you even though you do very little for it. And while our minds and hearts often rehash the past and rehearse the future, you know that your body is always here. Your body is always here. And one of the best indicators that you are not here is if you don't feel present to your body. Jesus said in John 10.10 that, that there is a thief that wants to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. But Jesus came for us to have life and to have it to the full. And when it comes to our bodies, I think so many of us, we have just opened the door and we have welcomed the thief in. And stealing, killing, and destroying the body, it often begins when we're young and we make agreements with the enemy and we participate in these unrealistic standards of what is a good body. And we allow a multi-billion dollar industry that has no healthy regulations to drive and direct our relationships with our bodies. And I imagine that every body in this room has had a moment where you felt like your body didn't measure up, that it wasn't enough, that it was too big or too little or too tall or too short, too this, too that. And that's a really painful way to live. And what so many of us do to avoid that pain is we learn to ignore this very important vessel. And believe me, I know a thing or two about ignoring the body. And we cannot ignore the bodies we live in and expect an abundant life. A week ago, we we lost Naomi Judd to a mental health battle that she fought for years. And I love these words that she said many years ago. She said, your body hears everything your mind says. Just let that sit with you for a minute. Your body actually hears everything your mind says. And so many of us, myself included, we have learned to say such unkind things to our body. And it is impacting our minds and it's impacting our hearts. You know, as I was growing up, one of the things um, my mom always made us do when we were growing up was we would always have to write thank you notes whenever we got a gift from someone. And as a kid, I I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I was like, I just wanna play with the toy that I got, mom. And now I'm so grateful for the discipline to offer words of gratitude. But as I was reflecting and researching on our relationship with the body, do you know who I realized I have never written a thank you note to? My body my body. And so in the process of writing this book, one of the things I felt God prompt me to do was write a thank you note to my body. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I want to read a portion of it to you today. 
um, this is my thank you note to my body. And if you want to hear the rest of it, you, you can buy the book. <laughs> Dear body, this note is long overdue. I imagine you wondered if this day would ever come. If I would truly pause and appreciate you for all you've done. Tears are puddling in my eyes just three sentences in. You have been so faithful to me. Your resolute and relentless presence has never let me down. When I needed you to help me run faster than Nathan Price at the third grade field day, you mustered up all the energy I needed to leave it all on the field, and I am so glad we won that day. When I fell in love with Jarrett, and no part of my heart or mind was functioning rationally, you gave me the courage to take a risk and throw all of my belongings into that little red Honda Prelude and move across the country for the greatest love of our lives. When I got the phone call about Dad, and then years later, Andy, you held me up. You released all of your secret compartments of strength to walk me through the storms of grief I would have never chosen. I don't know how I went so many years without realizing all you do for me. I'm sorry for all the ways I've neglected and ignored you. I know we are on the same team and I am officially only going to wear the same jersey as you. I'm committed to living like we belong to each other. For the times when I pushed past healthy limits and you ended up broken, dizzy, drained, and fatigued, I promise to pay attention to your limits to listen to your joints and muscles and when you're craving rest to slow down. For the times I fed you garbage, okay, not actual garbage, but food loaded with preservatives and absolutely no nutritional value. And I mindlessly ate so I didn't have to feel. Please forgive me. I promise to continue the healing work to restore my relationship with food. I often don't stop and compliment you, but you need to know that what's here now is I think you're beautiful. From your dark brown eyes to your short stubby toes, you're a masterpiece. And this thank you note is my way of starting to live as if I believe it. And when we're aware, when we're aware of all that is occurring in our heart, in our mind, in our body, do you know what we get to actually do? We get to live with gratitude for this now moment. Even if the moment is not what you want it to be. Because gratitude is just a way of living with appreciation and thankfulness. And when we learn to live with that kind of appreciation and thankfulness in the present moment, we actually begin to bring peace to the present moment. I think many of us, we think that peace that passes understanding is all about understanding everything that's going on in us. Understanding everything that's happening in our lives. But the peace that passes understanding, it's not needing to have understanding for everything that's going on in our lives. 
Because peaceful circumstances don't create gratitude. Gratitude is what creates peaceful circumstances. You know, it's easy to feel gratitude when we find ourselves experiencing joyful emotions on the feeling wheel. When it's not raining and above 50 in the month of May, this feels good. Gigi and I were driving in the car yesterday and she's like, Mom, I just, I feel so happy. And I was like, that's the sun. When all of life feels like it's just kind of falling into place and our relationships are healthy and our work feels purposeful, those aren't the only moments to feel grateful. Because what I have found is that gratitude is actually the antidote to anxiety. You know, it's hard to be anxious and grateful at the same time. And when you practice being here, being here in your heart and your mind and your body and experiencing gratitude, you can actually fully belong to God, yourself, and your people. And that's what we're all looking for. Belonging is just is knowing you're worthy of love. You're worthy of connection with God and yourself and others, not because of what you've done just because of who you are. I love what Mother Teresa says. She says, if we have no peace, it's because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Experiencing belonging is experiencing the gift of intimacy, which is simply into me see. (laughs) And it's the desire that every single one of us has to truly belong to experience intimacy with God and with ourselves and and with one another and to live this way, we have to be willing to practice authentic vulnerability. And that can't happen in isolation. We do that in relationship with one another. You know, isolation plus vulnerability, you know where that's gonna leave you? Is with more fear. But, But when you allow connection and vulnerability to come together, experience courage. It's why we're so committed to creating moments that that lead to movements around here, moments of connection in the prayer hall, moments of connection in small groups, moments of connection serving. We aren't meant to navigate our way through this life alone. We're meant to do it in connection with one another. And this last week, I, I was experiencing all kinds of vulnerability. And I was so tempted to just kind of keep it to myself, to to isolate and and to just kind of hold it within. And instead I I decided to reach out to a friend and I just said, "Can can I just share what's here now? Because what's here now for me is, um, I'm sensing all kinds of butterflies in my stomach and they don't seem to go away. My mind is racing all the time. What I'm feeling in my heart is scared. I'm feeling nervous. I'm feeling tender. And what I'm thinking in my mind is, how how do I release all the results of all of this? How do I just practice being present, God, and and trust that you're going to do what you're going to do 
with all of these words, you're gonna, you're gonna put them in the hands of the people that most need them. And, and that's what it looks like. It wasn't a perfect moment. It was a present moment. And when we live in the present, we live where God is, friends. You know, one of my favorite moments in the scriptures is a moment in the Old Testament that God has with Moses. And I won't go into the, to the whole story, but, but Moses had, had already walked through some really challenging experiences in his life. Lots of loss and disappointment, opportunities for, for blame and guilt and all kinds of worry and control out in the future. And, and he had a lot of reason to spend his days rehashing the past and rehearsing the future. And he had, he'd been waiting on God to deliver them to the promised land. And he had kind of gotten to a point in his journey where he was just done. And in a moment of depletion, he says, listen, God, I don't care about the present moment. I just want to know about the plan. What's the plan? Just tell me the plan because I'm over it, God. Anyone ever been there? Anyone have a very spiritual prayer like that? I just want the plan, God. Amen. And, and that's basically what Moses does. I just want the plan. And I love how, how God responds to him. It says that the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God's like, the plan is my presence. That's my plan. That's what my plan has always been, my presence. And Moses literally says to him, well, good, because if your presence does not go with us, don't send us. Don't send us. How will anyone even know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else is gonna distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Another translation of the Bible, it literally says that Moses said, if your presence doesn't take the lead, call the whole trip off. And friends, this is how God invites us to live. In his presence. And I wonder how many of us, I wonder how many of us, we've just been desperate to know God's plan. And we have forgotten it's his presence that changes everything. See, we rehash our past and we rehearse our future because oftentimes I think we're more concerned with the plans of God than the presence of God. And I think we've forgotten that, that God actually doesn't owe us the plan. He's not interested in us just coming to, to him for his promises and his plans. He just wants to be with you. And he wants you to want to be with him, to be people that say, God, all I want is your presence. All I want is your presence, nothing else your presence. I want to be here in this now moment with you. And I know there are probably many of us here today and you find yourself rehashing the past or you're rehearsing some things out in your future. And I just want to say to you, there is nothing that can't be faced in our lives when we face it in the presence of God.
Nothing. Nothing that has happened in your life. Nothing that will happen in your life. If you live in the presence of God, you can face anything. Anything. And so God, I pray, I pray today that this would be true of our lives, that we would learn to live in your presence. That we would learn to be in the here and the now with you, God. That we would be a people that say nothing else Nothing else is as important as your presence, God. If your presence doesn't go with me, then I don't want to go. Lord, make us people of the present. Nothing else, God. Nothing else. We love you. We're so grateful. And we pray this in your name.